All right. Well, in a New York Times interview, Dolly Parton told the journalist that when she's on the road, she leaves her makeup on at night. She said, you never know if you're going to wreck the bus. You never know if you're going to be somewhere in a hotel and there's going to be a fire. So I leave my makeup on at night and clean my face in the morning, which makes sense. If the world saw her without her face on, it would change the illusion we have of her. So instead, she makes it a practice to always be ready, just in case. There's the understudy for a play, ready, just in case the regular actor can't go on. Or firefighters, always prepared to respond if the alarm sounds. Or the student bench warmer who practices just as hard and suits up for every game just in case he's called into play. Well, Jesus tells parables about being ready as well. But each of the two parables he talks about have different endings. There's the one where the servants continue to work in preparation and anticipation of their master's return from a wedding feast. They don't know exactly when he'll be at home, but they know he's coming. They're joyful for his return. And then there's the one where the house manager has been working on autopilot and is a little distracted when a thief randomly and regretfully breaks in to rob the house blind. Now, these two seem like different kinds of readiness. Aren't they two very different events to try to be prepared for? So what is Jesus' point exactly? Well, we often assume we know, don't we? It's just be ready for Jesus. Look busy. Jesus is coming. That's what we like to say. Look busy. Jesus is coming. Go to bed with your makeup on just in case something happens. But how do we get ready for Jesus as master? How do we prepare for Jesus as thief? Or is that even a point? It's a bit easier to sort out if we didn't get these little short snippets of gospel readings every week and we could look at the whole thing in its context. Because to understand what's happening here, we have to go back to the reading that we had last week and look at the stuff in between. So last week, Jesus responds to brothers fighting over their inheritance by telling the parable of the rich fool whose crop was so abundant that he built bigger barns to store them in. But then he died that very night. Jesus then goes on to tell those gathered not to worry about what they wear or what they eat or how much they have. God provides for the birds, and they don't have big barns to store their excess. They don't have big bank accounts and 401ks. God provides for the flowers, and they wither and die in a season, and yet they are more beautiful than Solomon and his beautiful clothing. Instead, he says, don't be afraid, because God wants to give you good things. God wants to give you everything. God wants to give you the kingdom to enjoy now. What a blessing. Therefore, instead of storing up and worrying and fearing for your stuff, take care of those around you, he says. Extend the kingdom. Extend the grace. Place your focus on the gifts of God so that your heart will follow. For if your heart is on God, Jesus' return will be joyous. He will serve the servants, and the celebration will be unending. 
But when your heart and your focus remain on the stuff of this world, on money and power and accumulation, on what you eat and what you wear and building bigger barns, Jesus' return will feel like a thief in the night. Everything you work so hard to build and gain is gone in an instant. Like the rich fool with the abundant crop. Like the brothers who would rather cut off their own relationship with each other over their inheritance when it would be better to give it all to those who need it and remain brothers. Remain in relationship. Now to be honest, it's hard to stay ready, isn't it? It's hard to keep our relationship to the world in check. And quite frankly, relationship seems to be at the core of all of this. Our relationship to God, our relationship to this world, our relationship to our stuff, our relationship to our privilege or lack thereof, our relationship to what we own or what owns us. And these relationships will dictate, at least in part, our faith in God's faithfulness. How we wait and what we experience when Jesus comes when the waiting is done. In today's Genesis reading, the Lord God made a promise to Abram. A big promise. A promise with consequences. This old man, this man who is as good as dead, and his old wife, who had no children of their own, God says will bear a child, will bear a boy. One to take the inheritance and the name. And this boy, the Lord God said, would bear ancestors far beyond the numbers of stars in the sky. Imagine the scene. You can't forget that this same God who promised ancestors to an old couple also created those very stars in the sky. Nothing is impossible for God. And yet, as Abram looks up into that brilliant sky, he questions God. Are you sure this is going to happen, God? When? I want to know when will this happen. And tired of waiting... He later has a son with Sarai's handmaiden because God really wasn't acting very quickly and Abram started to wonder, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I misunderstood. So he takes matters into his own hands. But he never loses faith because faith means relationship. When, we are, when, we, when all of our life is called into question, when you're certain that you made a wrong turn, when you demand a response from God, as Job did, all of that means that you are still in relationship. Even when you're angry, you're in relationship. You're engaging in a God you trust to answer the questions, to respond to your fear, to act for justice, to move heaven and earth, to grant the kingdom. Faith means stepping out even when you don't know what the next step will bring. One commentary suggests and defines faith as a longing, a hunger, a desire, a willingness to go on a perilous journey not knowing where we will end up. It is awaiting a promise we can't even imagine, like Abram. It's being ready to move like the Israelites at the first Passover. God told them to gird up their loins, to get dressed, and keep their sandals on. Sleep with their clothes on and their makeup on. <laughs> because as soon as Pharaoh agreed to their release, they would have to move quickly. 
bake bread that doesn't need time to rise, be ready to go when the time is right. I can't help but think of immigrants over the ages, people who looked at the stars and imagined, who imagine now a life of opportunity and hope. People who waited for the right time to flee, preparing to make that long journey to their promised land, over land and over water. People like Abram. People like the Israelites. People like the Volga Germans from Russia. People like the English fleeing religious persecution. People like the Guatemalans and the Rwandans. People, people of faith seeking the kind of life God promises to all of God's children. People stepping out into God's faithfulness with only hope to guide them. Much like the author of Hebrews, we too can look at our recent past to guide our path in faithfulness. And we can say, in faith, immigrants of all times and places left home to seek a place in which life can flourish. In faith, Worship communities have extended a welcome to the often unwelcomed and risked their financial bottom line for the sake of the marginalized. In faith, people have left jobs that drained them of life to pursue work with less pay but more hope. In faith, children of God have passed down to their children a promise they may not see fulfilled in their own lifetime. How we wait, then, is evidence of this faith. We wait. We wait to see the face of Christ and the children who begin school this week, though they're excited or anxious or a little sad. We wait to respond to their requests for homework help and afternoon snacks. We wait as we pack food backpacks for the families who anxiously await Monday's school breakfast. We wait in anticipation of new feast partners and the opportunity to share this beautiful gospel of acceptance and welcome. We wait for our kitchen to be completed so that we can serve our neighborhood in new and exciting ways. We wait for our new staff with fresh ideas and renewed energy. We wait for those on hospice to experience the peace of God's hand in theirs. We wait for innovations in cancer and Alzheimer's treatments. We wait as we respond to events such as El Paso and Dayton, Columbine and Sandy Hook, flooding in Nebraska and hurricanes in the east. We wait as we offer welcome to the immigrant and the newly minted citizens, to people of all ethnicities and abilities. We wait not with our makeup on in fear of who's going to see us, but with our loins girded, with our clothes on, with our sandals strapped on, we're ready to move when the Lord says, go. But we don't just wait. We also prepare. We prepare by setting our minds and hearts on God's promises and no one else's. We prepare by doing the work, doing the work of construction or of theological training, of learning additional languages, of caring for grieving families and the people who are ill. We prepare in prayer and in worship. We prepare in Bible study and on work days. We prepare alone, and we prepare together. And when the Son of Man returns, we know that we need not fear the loss of what we have, because what we have is centered in Christ. It cannot be taken away or diminished. As Paul tells the Romans, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. 
And that, my friends, is the treasure we need not wait for. It is ours now. Amen.